From the back lot of Skywalker Ranch, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two guys who were C-3PO's fluffer, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. So yeah, no, not really the uh, the back lot of Skywalker Ranch, but we uh, we're not outdoors again. We're we're back indoors still. By the way, more. yes, I just thought of this and I want to say it now before I forget. Yeah. Uh, now this is about a week ago. Yeah. This came out, but we didn't talk about it on last week's show. Right. Talking about Star Wars Seven. Yes. J.J. Abrams shooting it on film. Shooting it on thirty-five. Yes, because you got to get lens flare. You can't get lens flare He's when you. He's not shoot. doing the lens, but don't go for the <laughs> lens flare joke. You got to admit, he's going old school, and get this, all practical. Not even probably not all practical, but as much as possible, practical sets. That Shooting on fi- on film, good practical sets. I like that. That's the anti Lucas. I love it. It's gonna be shot by it. the same guy who shot all of JJ's films. I, I, I good. Yeah, well, that guy's good. not bad. He's not bad. Not great, but he's not bad. You know, we didn't get to uh, some of the emails that we had gotten about uh, <laughs> about our two shows outside. Last week, these were my two favorite ones. Um, uh, Chevelle Dixon wrote us and said, The outdoor podcast didn't work out, but I like that you guys mixed it up. And uh, then he, he had a question for us about the uh, upcoming fall releases. He says he's looking forward to Spike Jones's Her with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Yes, I saw and, the, did, you, uh, did you see the trailer? I saw the trailer. It looks good, right? It looks really good. It does look good. A lot of, a lot of movies look good, man. The new trailer for Inside Lewin Davis looks great. I just, I'm so excited. I'm going to be seeing the uh, the Fifth Estate fairly soon, and Ooh. that's yeah. And then he also asked us, "What are our thoughts on Warner handling some of the Paramount catalog uh, to release on Blu-ray, which is not some; it's a it's hundreds of titles." I like it. He says, "I think Paramount's being cheap, and this will be lucrative for Warner Brothers. Keep up the good work." Yeah, I. Uh, uh, I, I if Paramount kinda, does. If here's the thing: if Paramount doesn't give a crap about their library. They don't. What what major studio will do a better? Here's job? the thing: Warner Brothers is not remastering these things. What they're doing is they're simply taking the elements that Paramount has on hand, and they're you know in in, in they're making Blu-rays from those those elements, which are already high def, most of them. And uh, then the other ones, they're just releasing them with the artwork, and as is, many of them on, from Warner Archive. They're, turned, they're taking things that were originally released as DVDs, making them DVD-Rs. Um, because Warner Brothers has a perceived attachment to a community that likes old movies, and Paramount really sees movies as disposable. It's like fast food. If it's older than six months, it doesn't have any more value, and they don't really like their library, which is sad, because there's so much good stuff in the Paramount library. Yeah, but it's not cool and awesome. I know. And a lot of it, frankly, you know, remember Olive Films has been mining a lot of Paramount titles already. So it's, it's you know, through Olive and through Warner Brothers, eventually all those Paramount titles that they don't give a crap about, we will get. I mean, Olive will, I would argue that Olive, because they're a smaller company, yeah. might have more invested in doing a better job with these Paramount titles. I agree. And then we had, we had a great email from Al in San Francisco. Why go back inside? The Digigods must take their passionate podcast to the streets, but why cozily preach to the choir? For your next episode, I propose you and Mark take one or two-day vacation to the mean or rather cranky streets of San Francisco Chinatown. Plop your gear right onto Grant Avenue sidewalk. Carry on with insider film industry talk while the herds of annoyed Chinese grocery shoppers rush and indifferently brush past you. Capture the authentic sounds of our sage but aimless grandpas hawking loogie and spitting at your feet with llama precision. Get scolded by bossy dowager storekeepers to get lost. Get drowned out for 20 minutes and run over by deafening lion dance groups 
gigging at restaurant grand openings. Mingle with Midwest tourists asking the most commonly asked question in the neighborhood. Y'all know where the best dim sum is? Mention loudly the virtues of the Joy Luck Club and get absolutely stumped. WTF looks bump from absolutely everyone around you. Tour the DVD shops to see how many of your just announced titles have already been pirated. All this will add texture to the podcast. Post-show, stroll over to the overrated, overpriced Golden Gate Bakery and treat Mark to Don Tot egg custard pie, our go-to yellow trash grub. If, alas, Mark insists on recording in the more controlled environs of the interior, then how about my place? How do you feel about a moderate amount of hairballs and cat pee? Please consider. Please. I miss it. That's I one of the best emails we've had in a long time. That made me laugh. I have not been to San Francisco in a long time. I either. haven't either. We should go up and we should do that. Seriously, we should. We should do a show. Bossy Dowager Shopkeepers. I love it. We should do a show from the plane. You know, it's about an hour from uh, Oh, man, LA a podcast on the plane? Yes. That would be great. Just put that out there. And, and see how long it takes for the, uh, the, 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 the stewards and the stewardesses to tell us to turn our gear off because it's interfering with the plane's guidance systems. Can you imagine? Excuse me, ma'am. Do you mind holding this, uh, this little soundboard, please? Uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, can you move over, please, and maybe sit, on the, sit in the aisle because of these mics are taking up a lot of room? Fantastic. Absolutely hysterical. So, uh, Mark, last week we did not get around to a lot of uh, uh, older movies, classic titles. And we've got a few of those, and uh, I would like to call attention to one that was already uh, previewed on the, uh, the Facebook page. There was a, a rather lively discussion on the Facebook page about the movie, Dolph, uh, uh, Dolph Lundgren's movie, Dark Angel. Yeah. Uh, which Dark. was released in the United States as, do you remember? Uh, Dark Angel. Come on. You, you know this. This was the, the, it, it, it's it, it, one, it, one of the most priceless titles of, of its era. Uh, I, I feel like I know this. Oh, you should know this. I come in peace. Oh yeah, that's right. yeah, baby. Uh, but Dark Angel is the original title, the title under which it was released everywhere else. And uh, the idea, the idea here is that uh, uh, Dolph Lundgren and Brian Benben. Brian Benben. Brian Benben. Um, he was married. I think they're still married. He was married to Madeline Stowe. Oh yeah, I think they are still married. Oh, she was so. You uh, know, I saw at the. Um, you know, I saw, by the way. You know, I saw in our offices uh, last week. Mm-hmm. John Tesh and Connie Selica. Now John Tesh looks exactly the same. I know. Which is a, she made the she jumped ship at the right time because yeah, I remember at the time I was thinking seriously, Connie, you're giving up Gil Gerard, Gil Hot Stuff, rock and roll, disco dancing. Uh, you know. Buck like Rogers. Buck Rogers in the 21st century, 25th century. Really, you're giving it. You're throwing in Gil Gerard for that like dorky guy with the hair. Have you seen Gil Gerard lately? Oh my god, he's fat. He's fat and sweaty and like old and just pathetic looking. And she still looks hot. And John Tesh hasn't aged a day. I don't know, man. I don't know that John that Connie looks hot. Yeah, Connie, she does. Connie's had work done. I looked at her. She was on the cell phone, you know, trying to have a private conversation, which of course I. Was not a helping. Oh, 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 oh. Speaking of, oh my gosh, you know who's had work done? Like the worst work ever? And it, and it happened within 12 months. Wait, Major? No, no, Kristen Chenoweth. Oh my gosh. What I happened know. to her? She looks, she looks like one of the marionettes from, uh, from Thunderbirds. <laughs> it's terrifying. Have you seen that? I, Seriously. I, actually I have. She looks like one of the Thunderbirds puppets. It is, it's the most sad thing I've ever seen. She used to be so cute, and now she's all kind of Jerry Anderson super marionated out. It's just dreadful. I don't dreadful. know what makes them do that. I don't either. 
Well, anyway, uh, we're back to Dark Angel, otherwise known as I Come in Peace, which uh, stars Dolph Lundgren as a detective and Brian Benben as an FBI agent. And uh, they have to, their, their work leads them to basically stop an, uh, a, a psychotic alien who is using human beings is basically, he's using the Earth as a giant meth lab, and human beings are his meth. And they have to stop it or else aliens from all over, all over the universe will be coming to the Earth to like, get high on us or some, some damn thing. It's really, it's, it's, it's silly and stupid. And it's a cult film. I don't have the same fondness for it as some of our, some of our listeners and uh, members on the, uh, the Facebook page. But it is on Blu-ray. And uh, I, I... Here you go, wait. Yes. I know. Tell the, tell the listeners it's, it's, what you're looking I'm at. I'm looking at Chris and Chenoweth from 2007 and 2013. On PlasticSurgery.com. Well, actually, no, it's PlasticSurgery.com, probably because somebody already had PlasticSurgery.com. Yeah. Uh, so Kristen is uh, 42 years old, and uh, somehow I, I believe her chin can now chisel granite. Yes. Yes, it can. I just it's think so that they, they all regret it. It's just stop it. I don't it's know. Uh, yeah, they need to stop it. What's the point? Uh, anyway, uh, this is you know what. Here's the thing about this movie: it is uh, it is not a great film, but it is it certainly has a, a cult following, and uh, it, it's just it's it's very much of its era. It's just one of those movies that that from you know one of those '80s '90s era science fiction kind of mid-level schlockers. That's not unwatchable. It's not particularly great, but it's got enough kitschy elements, and it's a little bit offbeat enough that it's memorable. And you know the Terminator would have been in that in that vein had it not kind of broken out. So it, uh, I, you know, I guilty pleasure. Why not? Sure. You know why not? Um, and then uh, let's see. We got a um, double feature here that is, uh, I think, marginally to be recommended. This is from the uh, the Shout Factory label, Scream Factory. And I don't think these are particularly good films, but they're, they're kind of interesting on a certain level. They are historically significant, and uh, I think that's why they made them a double feature, because either one of these individually would not, uh, would not really work out. It is a Blu-ray-DVD combo pack of the two films, X-Ray and Schizoid. Now, why are these uh, even remotely noteworthy at all? Well, uh, Schizoid is interesting only because it's got uh, Klaus Kinski in it. And Klaus Kinski in anything is worth watching because he just brings this whole additional level of psychosis to, to things that would otherwise be juvenile and completely uh, tawdry. And uh, there's really nothing about a, uh, you know, a crazy scissor-wielding murderer that, that makes this movie even remotely unique. But somehow Klaus Kinski as, the, uh, as a psychiatrist is interesting and you know it just makes the whole thing a little bit more watchable even though Christopher Lloyd is uh, deeply embarrassing in it and then uh, X-Ray you probably never heard of I'd never heard of it uh, why is it worth watching you know why it's worth watching Mark two words two words I'm going to give you two words why X-Ray is worth watching those two words you know what those are uh, Star Wars Barbie Benton eh. that's why it's worth watching uh, boy, Barbie Benton was she was a she was a hot number. She was delicious back in the day. I don't uh, I don't know what's come of her. I'm afraid she's probably had plastic surgery as well. But nonetheless, uh, Barbie Benton makes it all worth watching just because you know she's she's adorable and she's a bad actress and it makes the whole thing kind of hysterically campy. Um, it, you know, it's another psycho killer movie 
and it all takes place in a hospital, and uh, the, <laughs> the plot is ridiculous, but uh, come on, it's Klaus Kinski and Barbie Benton together again. That's what makes this a, a good double feature. Oh, wait, not a big fan of Mario uh, Bava. I know. I always saddle you with the Mario Bava movies because I, I can't stand them. I know, you know, but this one is a Bay of Blood, although I'm a big fan of Kino. I think Kino does a great job with all these films. I really like Kino a lot. I'm just, and if you like these films, I mean, come on, man, you can't beat it. Mario Bava. Yep. Uh, I'm just not personally a, a fan. What is notable about uh, Bay of Blood is that um, it's uh, the makeup effects were by uh, Carlo uh, Rambaldi. Oh, that's right. Did you know that? I, I, you know, I, I did e. know T. that. I did know that, but I'd forgotten. E.T.? Yeah. A movie called E.T.? Yep. Alien? Yep. Uh, otherwise, this is just another uh, Mario Baba thing with a no-name Italian cast. And it's on Blu-ray and uh, DVD. Um, so, yeah. I don't know what to tell you, Wade. Yeah. Not into it. Babe, uh, it's really not my thing. That's fine. Also, um, from Mario is Five Dolls for an August Moon. This one's from 1970. And it was never released theatrically in the U.S. Um, so, if you're a Baba fan, you're going to want to see this. You probably have not seen it. Uh, it's kind of a mystery what do they call them, like a drawing room? Yeah, mystery? A, 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 a drawing, yeah, I guess. Well, a drawing like a, room mystery. Yeah, it's like an sure. Agatha Christie type sure. thing. We'll go with that. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, Five Dollars for an August Moon. It's about the scientist who uh, invents this uh, this thing that I will not uh, mention because I don't want to give away too much of it. Right. And uh, he's got all sorts of offers to buy it, and then all, all heck breaks loose. So there you go. Again, uh, this is... Um, Another Baba thing. There's a lot of cheesy '70s blood and guts and yeah. crazy effects. Um, not a fan of Mario Baba. However, I will say, in a movie that Wade's going to give me, <laughs> come on, you gotta give me that. Why not? Really? All right, Wade, don't give me the Fugitive. <laughs> still, it's still a great film. You know what? It, it, it really film. is a good film. It yeah. really is a good film. A Fugitive's terrific. Which is I, so weird because it's it's the only you know TV adaptations, TV series turned into movies just tend to be so crappy. But this was you know, and, and Andrew Davis, I'm sorry, is not a good director. He's not. He just he did like that crappy Chuck Norris movie before this, and he's made nothing but crappy movies afterwards. He's not a good director. But I, somehow everything came together. And I think I think here's my I'll let you blather on in a moment. But my view is. They they hired a, their whole development process on this was to involve uh, four or five of the best screenwriters in town, and they all brought something to it. And it's one of those rare cases where they just they got the screenwriter train, the rewrite mania. They somehow it clicked for in one of those rare cases. That is true. Uh, big fan of the Fugitive, uh, Harrison Ford. Um, some features here that were ported over. Uh, from previous Blu-ray and DVD versions. I have to say, I know you're not a big fan of Andrew Davis, but uh, I'm going to recommend one of my, uh, uh, just a terrific watch, is from 1989, The Package. I thought it was a terrific film with Gene Hackman and Tommy Lee Jones. Um, I really like that movie, uh, The Package. But um, So I'm going to stand up for Andrew Davis in the sense of The Fugitive and The Package. Totally. Uh, that said, uh, I like this film a lot. Uh, is this transfer much better where you'd want to update it? <sighs> I guess I'm going to say yes. It is a good transfer, and I do like this film. I, I think this might be one of Harrison Ford's last actual movies. 
like one of the last films Harrison Ford ever did. And by the way, on the Facebook page, we were uh, going uh, nutty crazy about how Harrison Ford is yeah. taking all these supporting character roles. I know. Now. It's like he's thinking, you know what? I'm 70 years old. No one's going to hire me to be Superman anymore. Yeah. Uh, all the movies I do suck. He probably didn't think that. But I really. But here's the thing, though. As a character actor, yep. I don't even know if I buy him. Do you buy him as a character? Do you buy no. him with Branch Rickey? No. Not in the least. You know? And, the and least. When, when, here's the thing. When he did Cowboys and Aliens... I mm-hmm. thought that was a good move, even though, okay, the movie is the movie, but at the time, no one knows that the movie's going to be good or bad, mm-hmm. but at the time, he's taking a supporting role with a cool director, John Favreau, with a you know, mid-career, super cool guy like Daniel Craig, and he's taking a supporting role. I thought that was a good move for him. Now, the movie didn't turn out to be that great, but I respected that Harrison Ford did that. That wound up being sort of the first salvo in this weird late-career supporting role thing he's got going on. So... You know, I hope so, because I was really anti-Harrison Ford for a lot of years. He was just a paycheck actor to me. But um, one of his last paychecks, and one of the only ones where he earned it, is The Fugitive. Highly recommended. You know, Mark, one of the great cult films of I see my... what you're holding. You do, don't you? Awful. One of the great cult films of the 1980s. Oh, my gosh. This is just so much fun. Uh, Q, The Winged Serpent. Uh, <laughs> this is... This is a Sam Arkoff production written and directed and produced by Larry Cohen. This is one of the last true Arkoff exploitation films and one of the last true Larry Cohen exploitation films, uh, at least until he did Original Gangsters. But uh, Larry Cohen, of course, did a lot of black exploitation stuff, you know, like uh, Black Caesar. He, uh, he, om- you know, he wrote Phone Booth, and Hitchcock was originally supposed to direct that. And then decades later, it winds up being a, a, Joel Joel Schumacher. Schumacher, a Joel Schumacher, Colin Farrell movie. Uh, uh, just on the cusp of when it was almost and like cell phones were, you know, becoming the the ubiquitous at that point, and phone booths were starting to vanish. So you had to make it then or never. And I think today people would look at it and go, "What's a phone booth?" But uh, anyway, Larry Cohen also significant because um, he is the brother of the late publicist Ronnie Chasen, who was gunned down last year in that that infamous. Uh, event that uh, a lot of people still don't think has, uh, you know, the, the police have completely come clean on. But anyway, uh, Larry Cohen does a, a heck of a job with uh, schlocky material of his own creation here. It's a silly movie. Let's face it, it's a really silly movie. But, y- you know, you, you've got David Carradine, Richard Roundtree, Michael Moriarty, Candy Clark. Uh, I mean, a, you know, a, a pretty solid mid level. 80s era B celebrity cast that uh, makes this whole silliness uh, somehow perfectly acceptable. And it's fun. It's about a freaking dragon that lives in the Chrysler building. Come on. How yeah. do you not love that? Yeah, but it's still not <laughs> as good as uh, Rain of Fire. It's gr- no, not even close. But it's, it's still, it's, it's fun. And it's pre-CGI, for crying out loud. It's silly, but it's a lot of fun. And awesome. then um, we have a, a, our list of what movies does Paramount not care about today? I got a little stack here. We're going to go right through them from Warner and Olive. These are the films that Paramount uh, has in its library and has deemed uh, utterly uh, worthless, so it lets other companies release them. So this is what Paramount does not care about. Uh, From the Warner Archive collection now, three films are back in print that were originally Paramount releases on DVD and then discontinued. They were out of print for a few years. Now they're back. My Geisha, starring Shirley MacLaine and Yves Montand and Edward G. Robinson. Uh, is a uh, it, it dates rather middlingly, 
but uh, Jack Cardiff directed it, written by Norman Krasna. Certainly, uh, you know, it's it's got a following. It's a it's a perfectly solid Shirley MacLaine vehicle from 1961. That's back in print. The also with Yves Montand is the incredible On a Clear Day You Can See Forever, Barbara Streisand and Yves Montand, which I just think is a wonderful film, a total classic, uh, brilliantly written by uh, Alan J. Lerner. And uh, one of the last great Vincent Minnelli films, frankly. I, I just think this is a lovely movie, uh, you know, an existential romance and musical, and it's just, it's fantastic. We all know the song, right? I mean, Barbara Streisand knocks out of the park how with that you, song. How does Paramount not see the value to that? They just, ah, oh, clear day, bad Streisand chick, the song, whatever. We got better things to do. We got Adam Sandler movies to make. Give me a break. Uh, and then Shirley MacLaine. Uh, along with Dean Martin in All in a Night's Work, also from the Warner Archive Collection. Uh, this is back in print and uh, originally based on a play by Margaret Veshi and Owen Elford. Um, so that's uh, not the best film that they've done. It's an interesting pairing. I don't know that there's a lot of great chemistry between them, but Shirley MacLaine is a lot of fun, and I love Dean Martin in just about anything, even if he's, you know, kind of subpar Dean Martin. And then on Blu-ray, uh, because it, this movie is uh, clearly too old for Paramount to care anymore, is their remake of Shaft with uh, Samuel L. Jackson, directed by John Singleton. Not good. The original Shaft is way, way better. This was just a completely pointless film and a wasted opportunity uh, for uh, Christian Bale. I don't know why he's in this movie. Uh, it's just the strangest thing ever. But uh, you know what? This has never been on Blu-ray. Believe it or not, it is now on Blu-ray. Lame. Paramount. You know, it's like they, they, they remake these movies and, and then they do, not only do they do nothing with it. I know. They, they strip away all the uniqueness of the original. I know, it's crazy. It's another movie. You can call it anything. And that's really, here's the thing. It's just, they could have slapped the name Shaft I over know. any detective script. Any, any where script. Where, not even an African-American detective. It no. could just be a white detective. They just make him African-American. Sure. You know, and just call it Shaft because it's pre-sold, pre-digested, it's easier, easier to market. Yep. It's just really dispiriting. I agree. I don't think you do agree with it. I do agree. I oh, I do. you love Shaft with uh, Samuel Jackson. It's your favorite movie of all time. We could play the song. <laughs> uh, Sterling Hayden, this is now we're into the Olive films. This is what Olive has mined from the Paramount Library that Paramount doesn't care about. Flat Top, which is a 1952 Sterling Hayden vehicle uh, where he plays a, uh, a Navy pilot uh, during World War II. And, uh, it, you know, it's pretty kind of standard, uh, just immediate post-World War II flyboy stuff. Um, some pretty decent use of uh, you know the, the the effects work. It's not you know quite top, the Top Gun of its era, but it's pretty it's it's decent. Um, some you know nicely put together. And Sterling Hayden, even though he was a complete lunatic, uh, this is of course pre Doctor Strangelove, uh, so he's not quite the lunatic that everybody would eventually understand him to be. But you know, nonetheless, it's okay. Gregory Peck in Only the Valiant. This is fun. I actually uh, had some. I'd, I've seen this film before. I'd forgotten how much fun it is. This is from 1951. And uh, Gregory Peck plays a... Uh, the, he heads up a cavalry group. And um, it, he's not, it's not quite a, uh, a John Ford film. You know, we'd like to think of the cavalry films as all being John Ford films and John Wayne. This is directed by Gordon Douglas. It's uh, a, a little bit in the... It, you can tell they sort of want to emulate some of the, uh, the John Ford stuff. But... Um, it, it's got a great cast: Ward Bond and Lon Chaney Jr. and uh, it's it's a uh, you know good-looking movie. Great music from Franz Waxman. Yeah, I I, I think I uh, I think I'm going to recommend that one. Penny Serenade. I'm just stunned. This is such a great movie. Irene Dunn and uh, and Cary Grant. 
directed by George Stevens. This is a fabulous movie. This is so, so wonderful. Um, it was the third time that uh, George Stevens had directed Cary Grant and Irene Dunn. They were previously in uh, My Favorite Wife and The Awful Truth. And it's a, it, the chemistry is just impeccable. I never get tired of Irene Dunn. I just think she's one of the, the most endearing actresses of her generation. And uh, this is just a fantastic movie all around. I'm just amazed that, Warren, that, that uh, 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 Paramount would say, oh, yeah, no, that's, uh, we can't really be bothered. And then lastly, the great James Cagney in Kiss Tomorrow Goodbye, also directed by Gordon Douglas. Um, and uh, this is one of the best things that Cagney ever did. And, you know, we, uh, yeah, we like to think of him as, you know, Doodle, Yank, uh, in uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy. And when he kind of, st- when he played, you know, uh, when he's, when he's kind of stretched and he's not done the gangster roles, we like to think of those as being the great Cagney performances. Gotta tell you, I, when Cagney is just nasty and mean and tough, that's when he's at his best. And I know that's just casting for type, but boy, he's oh, good he's in awesome. this. He's so good in this. So um, this is a movie that is surprisingly mean and tough and nasty, even today. And if you're a James Cagney fan, you do not want to miss this. Uh, Paramount has no idea what they lost, but nonetheless, it, it, it gets the pristine Blu-ray treatment from uh, Olive. And thank God Olive is out there. Keep getting them. Keep grabbing these movies. This is 1950 and just beautiful black and white photography here, too. Guys, such a good movie. Well, here's, here's the tragedy. Here's, here's another part of the tragedy. Yeah. Literally, on December 3rd, Warner Brothers, as part of its you know, 600 title deal with Paramount, yeah. is going to release on Blu-ray a movie that Paramount had no use for. It's I like, know. We, we don't care about this movie. What movie am I talking about, Wade? Terms of Endearment. I know. In terms of endearment, I know. Oscar-winning best picture. I know. Don't care. Meh. Who cares? It makes Warner no Brothers, sense. You, you worry about that. We crunch the numbers. We don't care. Makes no sense to me. Is that just just horrible? I know. It's mystifying. It is utterly mystifying. I don't understand it. Mystifies me on every conceivable level. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a really a, a I, bold just, statement. I don't, I don't understand what Paramount's doing. I, I just don't. It's it, like it's it's like there's nothing. I'm actually surprised that Disney cares enough about their library. I mean, their library is like. Priceless. I mean, all those are amazing. I'm surprised that Bob Iger cares. I think Paramount just doesn't see... I think everything at Paramount is driven by Sumner Redstone. I would love to blame Brad Gray for everything, but you can't. I think everything is driven by Sumner Redstone. When you read the Linda Obst book, you realize that Sumner Redstone is... He's just a cranky, crazy old 90-something guy who thinks he's going to live forever... And who's just—he's like living off of the, his, his, you know, megalomaniacal delusions of of uh, having, you know, being able to control the universe. And somehow everything is micromanaged, and if you, and everything is about pinching the pennies. And he expects immediate results from everything. And the idea of mining a library for, you know, really putting effort and uh, time to kind of nurse and nurture the, the, the these films and an audience that love old—that's forget it. It's got to hit now. It's got to hit fast. It's got to drive the stock price up in about you know 24 hours. And if that anything else is a waste of manpower, that's what I think it is. I think Paramount is just a complete immediacy-driven enterprise. Well, also when you think about um, when you think about uh, national amusements, right? yeah, yeah. I mean that's a theater chain. Yep. Right. Owned yep. by Redstone's son. Yep. At this point, mm-hmm. I, believe, I believe his name is Michael. Yep. So to to him to that family. Part of the value of owning a movie company yep. is having 
not only the movies, but having them run in theaters where they can make money on the concessions and everything. They own the theaters. They own yep. the land. Here's the thing. That, what, what National Amusements did that was smart is they mm-hmm. don't just own the theaters. They own the land. I know. That's on the theaters. They yep. didn't buy the land from somebody else and build the theaters on top and pay a landlord. Yep. True. So they've been smart. But again, that's smart in a way that might be great for stockholders, but not good for movie lovers. True. Wait, there's a, hey, you gave me this earlier, and I, haven't, I didn't talk about it yet. It's kind of a one-off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know I don't really uh, think about the Mets anymore because they're terrible. Although um, uh, the Dodgers away. Yeah, I, I'm not following any of this. I, I have a child. I'm, but, I'm, what, what's going on in the, in the world of, uh, of baseball? Uh, somebody, uh, had a, somebody made a touchdown? I went, I'm going to say that I went to the most amazing baseball game ever in the history of the world. Dodger game, here's why I went. I'm not a big bobblehead fan. Wait, don't like the bobbleheads. Don't get yep. it. They're, they're kitschy and sometimes they're cute, but don't want to own one. But you know what? I now own a bobblehead because I really, really wanted to go. To the very exciting Rick Monday saving the flag bobblehead night. I have no idea what that means. Do you you do not know that story about how Rick Monday saved the American flag? No. Really? No. What did he do? Oh my God, wait, you're so out of it. I'm sorry. It's 1976. Okay. 1976, wait. Now Rick Monday, as you know, is a current Dodger yeah. broadcaster. Uh huh. But in 1976, Rick Monday was playing for the Chicago Cubs. Mm-hmm. Cubs are in LA. Right. Play the Dodgers. Sure. Right. So. As the game goes on, this is April 25th, 1976, a guy, civilian, and his 11-year-old son run onto the field, 1976, okay. land in the Vietnam War, okay. run onto the field, whip out an American flag and a lighter. Oh, my gosh. They light the American flag on fire okay. in the middle of Dodger Stadium, beautiful April day. Before they can do it, what happens, Wade? Rick Monday... Storms on the uh, and storms throws up the, himself on the flame. <laughs> no, he runs okay. up and he grabs the American flag from those two guys. No kidding. Yes, and when he grabbed the American flag from those two guys, it was seen as again this is 1976. It was seen as a very patriotic act. Here's Rick Monday saving the American flag from these two guys who are going to burn the flag, and it became and I, one of the iconic moments. I mean, actually, the video of it is on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and look up, you know, Rick Monday saves the flag or something, you can find it. And Vince Scully did the call. So it's great. So I got Wade, the Rick Monday saving the American flag well, that's bobblehead. That's hysterical. That's it. Rick Monday flag saved bobblehead. Well, that, that's actually a cool story. Thank you very much. That's a cool story. Thank you very much. I like that story. So, all right. In lieu of talking about that even more, <laughs> okay. we'll talk about um, MLB 25 greatest postseason home runs. Uh, I like this disc. I mean, I wouldn't buy it. I mean, I guess if you're a baseball super completist, you got to buy it. I'm a, yeah. I love baseball, obviously, but uh, I do like this disc because every one of these home runs is so awesome, and you just got to know what number one is. And if you live if you live in Los Angeles as a kid, which which I did, a very very young. Well, actually, you know what? Yeah, kind of kind of a young kid. You remember Kirk Gibson? Sure. And his amazing home run. Sure. I, I, I remember that, that. That's like the, that, that was one of the only times I've actually stood, sat down and watched baseball. And I, I was like, did I really just see a crippled guy deliver a walk-off grand slam, a walk-on grand slam? Did that really just happen uh, in the, in the World gra- Series? It was not a grand slam. Nice try. But Wasn't it? No. Just but, a home run? It was a home run. I didn't see but, that. In my, in my memory, it was a grand base. slam. One man on base. But uh, uh. he was crippled. In fact, he barely made it. But he won the game. He, yes. Yeah. In fact, see. he barely made it around the bases. 
was, was unbelievable. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Uh, Reggie Jackson, three home runs in a game. The Joe Carter, uh, Toronto Blue Jays home run that won the series for them. Uh, it, uh, look, uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was definitely a fun watch. Do you want to buy it? Uh, yeah, sure, if you're a baseball completist. Um, uh, but I'll, I wouldn't want to buy MLB 25 greatest postseason home runs, but I did enjoy watching it. Nice. Thank you. Uh, Wait, I'm a big fan of Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon is... Um, He's kind of come on, hasn't he? he yes, he, is in, uh, he was in Take Shelter, my favorite film of uh, last year. Love that movie. He was also in uh, Mud, which is uh, that director's uh, uh, new film, yep. which I liked a lot Pretty with Matt McConaughey. Pretty great. The other film he uh, top-lined this year is The Iceman, and The Iceman is a very intense little film where Michael Shannon plays a uh, contract killer. Now you're saying, oh, another movie about a contract killer, and bam, bam, whatever. Uh, this has a lot more going on. Uh, it, you know, it's funny when, when I was when uh, I first read about it, I kind of flashed to Dexter. I don't know why. You know, Dexter's a serial killer. He's a cop who tracks down serial killers, and he's a serial killer tracking down serial killers. It's like yeah, blah blah, whatever. This guy is a a uh, contract killer who's also a devoted husband and father. He's you know living the white picket fence life. So there's some interesting stuff going on there. Uh, not a bad film. Kind of intense. Good mob stuff. Really liked it. Uh, the Iceman, a little film, probably missed it. Got a good cast. Winona Ryder, uh, James Franco, uh, Ray Liotta, and Chris Evans. I have to say, Chris Evans will occasionally do a decent film. Chris Evans will sometimes do, like, a real movie. Yeah. He, 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 he has the judgment that uh, other actors that look like him don't necessarily have. I'm sure his... He will, he will, put, he will do hair and makeup and, uh, and try to actually stretch a little. I'm sure his management is like, why are you doing that? But, you know Mark, the Lords, of, the Lords of Salem, uh, with this lovely lenticular cover, is not a, a 3D movie. It is on Blu-ray, DVD, and ultraviolet, however. It's 4D. And, and, and uh, it's a Rob Zombie movie. Yeah. And which means, you know, that it's, it's going to be... It, Rob Zombie... Basically, here's the thing. Rob Zombie and the RZA have one thing in common. They're music industry guys who have such an affection for a certain genre, they are almost encyclopedic in their obsession with that genre. Now for the RZA, the RZA knows more about Hong Kong martial arts movies than I think I ever will. It's bizarre what a scholar he is of those things. Uh, what up, Bill Murray? And there's a RZA reference. I bet you didn't get that, did you? Uh, that's from the uh, Jarmusch film. That is, Thank yes. You. What up, Bill Murray? Uh, gosh, that's funny. Bill Murray actually as himself working as a waiter in a restaurant and, and the RZA just happens to be there. It just awesome. it slays me. It's so damn funny. Anyway, uh, Lords of Salem is Rob Zombie going back to his horror roots, which is, you know, a, like 70s style, low budget, schlocky horror. And I swear there's nothing in this movie. If you didn't know better, you would swear this movie was made in like 1972. And it, it, it looks, that, that's it what he like, wants. That's what he wants. Uh, it's utterly silly. I, I, feel, I feel really bad for Dee Wallace Stone because, you know, here's the mom in E.T. And here we are all these years later. And now she's relegated to doing crap like this again after, you know, E.T. and then Cujo. And it's, it's like it was just a steady decline with her career. Uh, E.T. was the pinnacle. But anyway, this, the idea here is just really silly. It's about this woman who's a DJ. And um, the, the, she gets this record. She's a late night DJ, right? And she gets a record that is this psychotic sounding, eerie kind of culty horror music, which uh, is meant to sort of summon uh, the, 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 the. It's meant to summon powers from the era of the Salem witch trials and to bring them back into the present and bring the evil of. You know, and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's, it's very cheesy. It's very 72. It feels 
Very schlocky genre. I guess if you like this kind of thing. I never found it scary. I, I thought it got silly at a certain point. But, again, I get what Rob Zombie's going for. And, uh, you know, I guess it's, it's some people's taste. It ain't mine. And, uh, let's see... Um, from up on Poppy Hill is the uh, astonishing new film from uh, Hayao Miyazaki, not directed by Hayao Miyazaki, but written by Hayao Miyazaki and directed by Goro Miyazaki. Nonetheless, uh, this is a, uh, a Miyazaki film in almost every conceivable way, and it is a wonderful movie. Uh, I, I'm thrilled that uh, somebody is releasing the Studio Ghibli stuff again. This is coming out through Cinedime, not through Disney, who had the previous license with a lot of uh, Studio Ghibli stuff. And uh, this is just sweet. I don't know why this didn't get a proper uh, theatrical release. It should have. Uh, this would have done extremely well in theaters, but as it is, it's going to have to kind of claw its way to an audience uh, here. This, is, uh, this takes place just um, in the kind of in the emerging from the ashes, the 1963 ashes of um, uh, World War II, and uh, on the eve of the Olympics. And it's in the city of Yokohama. And uh, it's about uh, a couple of high school students who, um, and the relationship that they develop. And I'll leave it at that. And I know that sounds like, well, what does that have to do with animation? You know what? It's a beautiful script, and it's beautifully animated, and it is, uh, it is a lovely, lovely film. And uh, you should definitely check it out. It is a special edition Blu-ray DVD combo and some uh, decent voice casting. I have to say I'm not thrilled with all the English language voice casting. Uh, if, uh, but you're, you, most of it is fine uh, Anton Yelchin a lot better than I normally expect him to be Gillian Anderson uh, Bo Bridges, Jamie Lee Curtis, Bruce Dern you're going to recognize a lot of voices here uh, Chris Noth, Ron Howard believe it or not actually even contributed some, some voice work so uh, great stuff a lot, of, a lot of bonus features here if you want to watch the original Japanese version that is here as well most people probably won't but um, uh, it's really good it's really really good might might be one of the top two or three titles this week. What? There you go. Uh, we had a couple of uh, okay films this week. Probably slipped under your radar, starring uh, Big Big Peeps. Arthur Newman uh, is a new film with Colin Firth and Emily Blunt. This is an interesting little movie. I don't know if it's totally successful, but uh, it hits on themes that I think we can all kind of uh, relate to. Colin Firth plays a guy who's very dissatisfied with his life, so he fakes his own death. And I know that sounds kind of stupid, but... It, it's all in the service of these themes of reinvention and whatnot. He fakes his own death and uh, decides to start all over again as a guy named Arthur Newman. And while uh, doing this, he winds up meeting a woman, played by Emily Blunt, who kind of wants to do the same thing in a sense. So they kind of, uh, there's some romantic flirtation there, and their lives sort of have some, you know, cross-connecting currents uh, where each one sort of re- responds to the other for similar reasons. And I thought it was kind of interesting, actually. I, I, I have to say, I didn't. Uh, I don't. I can see this not getting a theatrical, only because it's a little hard to market. When you normally say "fakes his own death," you think of uh, you know some thriller thing where a guy fakes his own death. But um, there's some interesting emotions there. It's a very hard role to play because they're sort of playing two different people. They're, you know, they're both playing the person they used to be and the person they're trying to be now. So it's uh, it's not bad. You know, it's Arthur Newman. Also, uh, Petunia from uh, the good folks at Wolf Video. This is Thor Birch, Christine Lottie, and Brittany Snow. Um, I was not a huge 
fan of this movie. I can see why it didn't get much of a uh, theatrical. It's one of those like you know dysfunctional family things where everybody is uh, you know swallowing their real feelings and once old bitterness comes out it all gets their whole family goes pear-shaped and it just was really <laughs> their family goes pear-shaped you know, you've never heard that pear-shaped? no that's actually an english phrase is it yeah when things go pear-shaped oh my goodness i've never heard things, that things go you know you know what that's that's the english version of things going belly up okay gotcha so I, right. I, I wasn't really into it um yes wait uh well, go ahead i got a, i got a couple of a couple of things i was going to wrap out the uh, the new newish films with but go ahead I like the idea that now you see me. I did, did not. Well. I did not see it. So should should I watch it? Uh, you know, it, this feels to me like a good old fashioned time of the movies, and that's it. It's unassuming, but it's kind of fun. A little bit clever, a little bit cheesy, yeah. but it just feels like something that you would see like in the eighties. You know that cool little movie that you yeah. happen to catch as the second half of the double feature when it was raining, right? And you were surprised that it was that good. Okay. You know, All right. It's an interesting film. It's got a good cast: Jesse Eisenberg, Mark Ruffalo, Woody Harrelson. Some of these guys worked for like a day. Is 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 a uh, is um, uh, Christopher Walken in it? Is Christopher Walken in it? Well, I mean, I just usually when I hear about that kind of a movie, I, I assume Christopher Walken's in it because those are the movies he always shows up in. He is. He's not in this one. Okay. You, you, you need to get off your Christopher Walken kick. I know how much wow. you love him. Wow. I, He's the best. That's my. That's the only Christopher Walken impression I can do. So no. Wow. So no other dialogue. No. No. Just wow. Uh, it just. It. It just feels like it's. Look. It's about a bunch of a bunch of magicians, and uh, illusionists who use their illusion illusiony powers to run some cons, commit some crimes, and it just feels like a lot of old school, disposable, but totally fun. Just okay. coolness. All right. That's all it is. It's very right. unassuming. And I kind of wish more films would be like this. And I'm glad it opened to number one. Because you know what? It's not a superhero film. You know, it's not $200 million. But it's got a good cast. It's a good fun. It's a great Saturday matinee-ish old school type of movie. Groovy. Now you see me. All right. Uh, I will let you wrap out with that next one that you've got in your hands. And I'm going to make mention of two movies that I just pulled out. Because I always, I always love it when this happens. When we'll get two movies being released the same week. And I look at them and I go, seriously? How is it possible two movies get released in the same week that have exactly the same artwork on the cover? How is this possible? It happens all the time. I know. Well, it's usually somebody holding a gun. It's, you know, it's usually some guy sticking a gun. This one, it's, it's just bizarre. It's the, uh, it's the old uh, two people lying in bed, overhead shot. One of them's awake, the other one's asleep shot. It, one of them is a gay film, the other one's not. Uh, doesn't matter. Neither one of them's particularly good. The, uh, so the, the Blu-ray here, one of them's a DVD, one of them's a Blu-ray. The Blu-ray is slightly single in L.A., and it's got Lacey Chabert. There she is lying in bed with this look like, what have I done while some schlub lies next to her fast asleep? And the whole thing is she's just moved to L.A. and, uh, you know, to try to just start her life over and get sucked into this just horrible love triangle. And it's supposed to be funny and charming and quirky, and it, not, it never is. Lacey Chabert is wonderful. I think she's a great actress. I think she's just delightful on screen. And even when things are crappy, I can always watch her and I kind of suspend my, uh, my disdain for, for bad writing. I think Wellgo Entertainment picked this up just because it was probably affordable and they thought they could uh, make a, a couple of bucks off it. And they probably will because Lacey Chabert is charming. Uh, Chris Kattan shows up in this thing too, which is just bizarre. Uh, I don't know what he's doing with his career. Somebody needs to guide him. Uh, Beyond the Walls is, uh, is the same kind of cover as a guy lying in bed looking up what have I done and some guy next to him uh, with his arm on him he's asleep 
And uh, this is the, the one of those, uh, it's kind of boilerplate strand, uh, gay audience stuff. Nothing remarkable, not a bad film, but, you know, you would expect this to play an outfest or something like that. And, uh, you know, it's about a guy who, uh, you know, he's a pianist, he meets a bass player, and uh, falls in love with him, his girlfriend uh, boots him out, and then he, you know, through a series of circumstances, he winds up basically being without anybody. It's, it's meant to be a little bit poignant and, uh, and kind of sexy, I, but it's, it's really unremarkable. There's trillions of other films out there just like it. It's competent, but not remarkable. Uh, speaking of uh, not remarkable, Empire State... It's a horrible yeah. film. Horrible film. Yeah. Straight to DVD. Outstanding. With, um, uh, Liam Hemsworth. He's one of the 17 Hemsworth brothers. I don't know who they are at this point. I think <laughs> they, they are Liam kind of endless, Hemsworth. aren't they? They really are. Yeah. Um, Emma Roberts and uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And I like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I think that guy's cool. I do. I think, he's a, he, think he's, he can be a charming actor, but he wants to be. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is a bunch of crap about uh, Liam Hemsworth plays this. Uh, he plays this kid who doesn't get into the police academy so he becomes a um, he becomes a uh, security guard in an armored truck company and of course inside armored trucks are lots and lots of cash mm. so from there you get uh, this cash heist saga that is really deserves to go exactly where it went which is straight to video nice so I'm not a fan of Empire State as much as you may like Dwayne Johnson and or uh, Liam Hemsworth. I just love the fact that his name is Dwayne and you would never make fun of his name or he will bust your butt. <laughs> you said butt. Yes, I did. All right, uh, Mark, foreign language films. What? Shall we, shall we, shall we tackle some foreign language stuff? Um, we got some good foreign language. You, you, the, 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 the pile is next to you. Yes, we got some good foreigners. We got some good foreigners. Um, you know, Criterion has given us a gift this week. Gift for fans of uh, amazing filmmakers of the 1960s. First off, Eclipse Series 39. I cannot believe we are already up to 39 volumes of Eclipse titles. Uh, this is early Fassbender. Eclipse Series 39. It includes the Fassbender films, Love is Colder Than Death, Katzelmacher, Gods of the Plague, The American Soldier, Beware of a Holy Whore. The thing that is so amazing about this is that all of these films were previously out a million years ago. On, uh, on DVD And uh, they all went out of print very quickly They were part of the Wellspring Media collection at the time Which was, you know, went by a number of different titles Over, over time It eventually became Wellspring That was kind of the name that it, uh, the, the label settled on And they were all part of that they were, they were okay, they weren't great transfers But they were the only transfer of these films available And they had their Fassbender collection And people sucked them all up And then they went out of print when they lost the license And then these things were going for like $150 on, on eBay and, and elsewhere And, uh, it, you know, it, it just got insane at a certain point Why, am I look, why do I want to have, you know, a $150 badly transferred Blu-ray of Beware of a Holy Whore? Well, you don't have to anymore Now you can laugh at those people Because you can go out and pick up your Eclipse Series 39 Early Fassbender And they are all in one set And it is worth it These are really, really interesting films Um... Not necessarily the best Fassbender films, but some of them are really, they, they all have his themes and his obsessions and the evolution of his style. And uh, I think in particular, um, Love is Colder Than Death is, is, is pretty great. And that, is his, that was his first film. And you watch it and you're like, this guy has got some serious issues and some serious chops. And uh, I want to see what comes of the rest of his stuff. So uh, every one of these is worth checking out. It is, a, it is a great box set to have. Also from Criterion, two, and this is just so amazing to me, two from Satyajit Ray, or Satyajit Ray, 
however you want to pronounce it. I'm not uh, even going to try to do justice to the Bengali dialect. But uh, Ray is one of the great filmmakers of all time. The Apu trilogy is out there. The rest of his films are not. And they were restored uh, courtesy of, the, uh, uh, of, an, of you know, a, a great restoration effort, primarily spearheaded years ago by Merchant Ivory before all the films were re-released theatrically. And uh, now they are finally coming out. We've got The Big City, otherwise known as Mahanagar, and Sharulata. Uh, these were made in uh, 1963 and 1964, respectively, and they are freaking brilliant. They are both taken from 2K digital transfers, and uh, if you are not familiar with Ray's films, um, you got to check these out. Even if you haven't seen the Apu trilogy, which is kind of the great way of introducing yourself to Ray's stuff, it, it, you can watch any of them. Uh, Sharulata is particularly touching. It, is, uh, it takes place in late 19th century uh, India. And uh, it is, uh, it's, a, it's a woman's picture in every conceivable way, but it's, it, it just it gives you, it immerses you in, uh, in the struggles and in the anxieties and in the experience of this, this one woman. Um, and uh, it's just, it's extraordinary. Um, it's poetic, it's beautiful, and uh, it is just great, great filmmaking. It's just of the most delicate kind of filmmaking. It's wonderful. And then uh, The Big City is... Um, Equally poetic, but this is much more about. Um, it's it's more. It, it deals with a different kind of family dynamic and um, equally powerful on many levels. The extras here are uh, are fantastic. You get archival uh, audio stuff featuring Ray. You get um, uh, on the on uh, the big city uh, a thing called The Coward, which is a short film um, from 1965 that Ray made, where he talks about female identity in uh, in uh, in India. And um, it's great. You gotta just you gotta check it out. These films are just so wonderful. The transfers are fantastic. Uh, Blu-ray is a must. They're on DVD as well. But if you don't see it on Blu-ray, you're not. It's like it's just glorious. Have I said that enough? It's glorious. Say it one more time, Wade. Glorious. Very good. Uh, Wade, um, in the spirit of Life of Pi, which I'm a huge fan of. Yes. And even um, Hitchcock's Lifeboat. Yes. We have uh, Contiki now. Oh, which got an Oscar nomination last year. Yes, Contiki is a. Uh, here's the setup for Contiki. It's a good film. Yeah, I liked it. There was a theory in the 1940s, yeah. floated by the scientist. Now stay with me. Yeah. That the Polynesian Islands were originally populated not with people from Asia. Yes. Which was a lot closer than yeah. the Polynesian Islands. Okay. But people from South America, which is over like 4,000 miles oh, away. Wow. So this Norwegian scientist sets out to prove... Tor Heyerdahl. Yes. That a... The raw that It is possible yes. for a guy from South America yeah. to make his way 4,300 miles yeah. to Polynesia. Yeah. And he did that in the most impossible, incredible way possible. On a raft. That he did it on a balsa wood raft. That's pretty sweet. Him... And it was like five or six others. You know, the original documentary about the original Contiki won an Academy Award. And yet this one yeah. only yeah, got a nomination. Best, yes, but this is, you know, a dramatization. I uh, did like this film. I kind of wish that even though you're on the boat with like six other people and there's nothing else to do but learn about them, you don't learn much about them. But um, I, did, I did like the physical filmmaking part of it. I thought that uh, the life, the, uh, the raft stuff was very exciting. Of course, they come up against sharks and waves and all sorts of... Uh, all sorts of you know conflicts that would maybe scuttle their attempt and possibly end their lives. Um, but that said, I think it's a terrific uh, movie. It's uh, 
Con Tiki. Nice. You know, uh, a few weeks ago, they released the family-friendly version of The Extraordinary Adventures of Del Blanc Sec. And now we have the director's cut on a Blu-ray DVD digital copy combo set of The Extraordinary Adventures of Del Blanc Sec, which is a Luc Besson film that was not theatrically released here. Uh, and uh, I think it's just too bad, because this is a true story, by the way. Set in 1912, about, uh, in which an ancient uh, pterodactyl egg actually hatches. True story. And um, the, uh, the pterodactyl uh, reigns terror on, uh, on Paris. It's a little bit like Q, the winged serpent, except set in Paris and with a pterodactyl. And this actually happened in 1912. You know about this, right? I do. It's all, there's, there's, there's their photographs and their newsreels and the whole thing. It actually happened. It's a true story. And uh, anyway, uh, the, uh, the, the whole point of this, it is based on a series of books that are, I mean, come on, look at, the, look at the picture. She's like riding a pterodactyl. That's awesome. Isn't that awesome? It's a documentary. Uh, it's a documentary. The, uh, th- this is basically um, based on, on uh, some very popular fantasy books that kind of sit somewhere between, the, like for the French, between the Chronicles of Narnia and Indiana Jones. And uh, with a female, you know, uh, with a heroine kind of running the whole thing. And uh, I, I think they should have tried to get some traction for this. But they didn't want to release it theatrically, uh, apparently believing that no, it would just take too much work to generate American interest in a foreign language film with all of these very, very odd peculiarities. There's a little bit of, uh, I guess there's a little bit of... Um, uh, Baron Munchausen in this as well but you know what Luc Besson has made some real crap in recent years where he didn't seem to care about anything I gotta tell you this feels like that he cares about this more than anything he's done in a long time and uh, it really does have a little bit of that uh, Baron Munchausen-y uh, uh, Indiana Jonesy kind of feel to it and I, uh, I, I think they did a pretty darn good job so mm. I'm sorry this didn't get a better release uh, didn't get an actual theatrical release but uh, forget about the family-friendly version. You want to check this one out. It's uh, 107 minutes, not too long by any means, and really beautiful widescreen. Very nicely put together. Quite engaging. Wait, you know what else is engaging? What's engaging? A movie called Reality. Uh, I don't know if you saw this film. You know, I, I, I have a quite a healthy disdain for reality television, so yes. I like any movie that uh, makes fun of reality television. Of course. Even if it's kind of like a uh, like an Italian-y kind of movie. Ah, uh, yes. Now... Uh, in 2008, there was a film called uh, Gamora. Oh, I hated that. Which I everyone, liked a lot. Everyone loved that movie. I did, I forget, I oh, the Matteo Garone movie. Matteo Garone. Now did this he do is this too? One. Yes, he oh, did this gads. too. Which means you're going to hate it. Gosh, I hated that. I, everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's the ultimate mob movie. Oh, it just does what The Godfather and the others like, only scratch the surface. I, like 45 minutes into that movie, I was falling asleep. It was like nothing happens. Well, It's dreadfully boring. I don't. You'll have to explain to me why it's great. Well, no, no. His, uh, people who say it's like... Better than The Godfather, or out of their minds. I mean, it's just a good one of those sorts of films. And that's Nothing okay. happens. <laughs> Nothing happens. People get shot. It's yeah. all about people getting shot. Okay. Anyway, um, in the uh, film, um, the main character is a fishmonger who gets um, cast on a on Big Brother. Is it the Italian Big Brother? So the movie does have a lot to say about uh, you know the nature of fame and uh, and being on TV and and that kind of stuff. And of course, you know, you have like. People who want to be famous versus sure. pe- versus fans who obsess over you, although they don't really know you. So, it's it has a lot. There's a lot of satire there, yeah, and which I enjoyed. And it's interesting to get that. It's interesting to get that take from a film that is not an American 
homegrown film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost getting the, a European take on reality television and our obsession with fame. And so, in that sense, I thought it was interesting. I was looking at it from a different way. And it's pretty funny, and it can be pretty frank. And I thought it was an interesting movie. I do think that uh, Garoni's a good filmmaker. So I would yeah. recommend Reality. Thank you. Okay. And you, you go ahead and recommend from the, that. From the good folks at Oscilloscope, All which right. means they have eco-friendly packaging. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> wow. I just, I just don't like his movies. What can I tell you? Uh, you know what, let's uh, do some television. Actually, I want to make uh, mention of a, of a couple of uh, documentaries really quickly here. Actually, hold on. Let me uh, just blow through three documentaries real quickly. We can cover the others another week. Uh, Koch uh, from Zeitgeist Films. This is the uh, Ed Koch documentary. Enormously controversial figure on... I mean, he Sol- died, like, right, I know. right before, right after it came out. Right, right as it was coming out. Uh, Zeitgeist uh, really uh, kind of put it on the line because Koch is such a controversial figure. It's amazing, how, you know. This is a Democrat who governed as a Democrat, but somehow it, it wound up supporting George Bush. You know, many years after the fact, obviously uh, the war on terror incurred the wrath of, of, of gay activists for ignoring the AIDS crisis, even though he was rumored to be a closeted gay man. I mean, like, there's so many nuances to this. It is such a dramatic thing. And I remember, you know, when Ed Koch would make those guest appearances on Saturday Night Live, plugging his books and, you know, just really chewing the scenery. This is a, he's a fascinating figure and such a controversial figure. And, um, you know, he, he governed New York from 78 to 89, a really, uh, a, a really pivotal period. I mean, he, he, he paved the way for Giuliani. If, he did. If Giuliani is the one who really cleaned up New York. But he, there would be no Giuliani without Koch. That's right. Yep, absolutely. Even though some of Koch's views, especially. True. Now, again, look, here's the thing. You know, Ronald Reagan also pretty much ignored the AIDS crisis. True. And if you see the great documentary. Um, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the memories of a what was it? No, no, the, the, the oh, stories from the quilt. No, it? it's the one that was from last year. That was yeah, so good. Yeah, oh, yeah, How to yeah. Survive a Plague. That's it. How to Survive a Plague. Uh, they get into Thank that you. there. And Koch, who was a Democrat, did the same thing. He ignored yep. it, too. So I, uh, I don't agree with everything that guy was about. But I have to say that he paved the way for Giuliani to come in yep. there and make... Uh, absolutely. And yes, okay, look, as of someone who was born in New York, I have to say that he did turn the city into Disneyland, but... Even well, though it was it was it was like porn land I, before I, that. It was it was strip club land. It was peep show you know, land. I have to say, hey, I'll just say this know. quickly. As somebody who moved away from New York when he was a kid, but would go back every summer to see the family. Mm. Uh, yes, I would walk through Times Square and I would put my jewelry in my sock. Okay, <laughs> as I walked through Times Square, I would do that. But now that's gone the other way. Even though it is obviously much better, safer is always better. There is a certain. Uh, there's, there's a certain low rent charm yeah. to what New York used to be, and there's a certain pride that New Yorkers used to feel for surviving the city. I mean, we sort of lost some of that because mm-hmm. now it's all nice and safe. However, if you think it's too safe, go 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 live in the Bronx. <laughs> go, go, yeah, go live in the Bronx and get shot. I agree. Uh, the other two docs I'm going to give a quick mention to before we uh, kind of blow out on uh, some television. Uh, Some S O M M is a terrific documentary from uh, First Run Features. Uh, that is about a bunch of people who are trying to uh, pass the court of master sommelier and become, you know, master sommeliers, which is which are basically guys who are wine experts, and you have all kinds of opportunities at that point. I mean, there are only a handful of these guys in the world where they can. It's it's just unbelievable when you see what this actually entails. Like going through law school and med school back to back is not this difficult. 
I mean, these guys have to know. They have to be able to. The test is: here's a glass of wine. Uh, I want you to, in a second, tell me uh, not only uh, what the wine is, but tell me the year that it was done. Uh, tell me what you taste in it. Describe the taste. Tell me, and, and these some of these guys will tell you: yeah, this comes from the such and such winery in the such and such valley of Romania, and it was uh, it was a bad year. It was like 1962, and they had a drought that year. And it's un- and then they'll they'll go on and for like 45 seconds they'll describe exactly how it tastes. It's a little bit dry. Da, da, da. It's unreal. It's unbelievable. I mean, some people obsess on wine to a degree, like, you know, sideways. I think, okay, you know, get a life. These guys, this is unreal. This is just above and beyond. It's incredible. Anyway, really fascinating. Such a diverse bunch of people. And uh, it's, just, it's just something, it's a world I had no idea even existed. And uh, I, was, I actually met one of the guys, as it happens, when uh, we were covering this on uh, NPR, one of the guys from the movie was uh, was on for an interview with Larry Mantle right after the show, and I was like, "Dude, I'm so I'm, I'm in awe. I'm just in awe." And the last doc is stories we tell from Sarah Polly, which is uh, you would think this is just narcissism through the roof to the nth degree. Sarah Polly made a documentary about her own family. Oh, great! How interesting can your family be? You know what? Pretty damn interesting. Uh, you suddenly start to understand what makes Sarah Polly tick. It is, uh, it is really extraordinary. She comes from a family with all kinds of dramatic ins and outs and nuances. And uh, suffice to say, I'll give you only one spoiler. Sarah Polly might not have been alive today. She was almost aborted. And this is not a movie about abortion. This is not an anti-abortion movie. I'm just saying. That's part of the family story. And uh, it, is, it's a, it's, it is a fascinating, fascinating. It's a little bit navel-gazing at a certain point. But, uh, boy, I'll tell you, Sarah Polly is a gifted filmmaker. I have not liked all of her movies. I thought she's a little bit indulgent sometimes. But one of these days, she's going to put it all together in something that's really going to impress me. Just saying. She's, one of these days, she's going to really, really put it together. And uh, television, you know, Revenge is in its second season. And uh, it starts up again in the fall, and they are priming everybody for that pump by releasing the second season on DVD. Everything on this show uh, entirely revolves around the performances. And I I find the premise to be largely uh, rather silly, but um, it's a great cast, and... um, you know, you can watch any episode. I've, I've watched two or three of the episodes from the second season. I don't entirely understand everything that's going on, but it's engaging because the actors are really good. So, um, second season of Revenge is out there. And if you're a fan of the show, getting primed for that, uh, that third season ready to start up, go for it. Wait, season eight of Criminal Minds is out. The end. <laughs> there we go. You know, uh, this I, I've seen I've seen a few episodes of this show, and uh, it's all right. I like uh, again I like the cast here too. Why not, Mark? That's it, really. That's it. That's it. Okay. Another Criminal Mind. All season. right. In the books. Okay, fine. Another Criminal Mind season. Uh, while we're at it, first season of Elementary with Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu. Um, I didn't even know this existed. This is this is how how like fragmented television is getting. This came and I was like, really? This is a, this is a show. Johnny Lee Miller is on a show. Lucy Liu's on a show. Uh, I don't understand. Um, you know what's interesting? The, the, this is like the the counterpart, the antithesis, or the complement to uh, Sherlock, the UK series with the. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, right. who's not going to be on that show much longer because he's probably going to win Best Actor for The Fifth Estate. 
and then uh, he, he's not going to want to be on television. For Star Trek in, Into Darkness? No, uh, Fifth Estate. Stop oh. it. Go away. Uh, no, but here, Johnny Lee Miller plays Sherlock Holmes and uh, in the present day, and uh, Joan Watson is played by Lucy Liu. How's that? Lucy Liu plays Watson. Like right? That. Why, not? why not? Yeah, why not? It's uh, you know, look, we're 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 playing with the whole Sherlock Holmes lore anyway. Um, I'll tell you, I've always liked Johnny Lee Miller as an actor. Always liked him. Uh, I always thought he kind of got a, a raw deal during that time when a lot of his colleagues were uh, were stepping up and getting some big parts. And I'm glad to see him get this. He is very good. He's engaging, and uh, it feels very Sherlock Holmesy. I like. I you know, it's not quite Sherlock. But uh, it's, it's a, a smart enough contemporary take on the, uh, the whole Sherlock Holmes lore that uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do for subsequent seasons. So, yeah, give, give that one a shot. First season is always a little clumsy. This one's less clumsy than most, but it, 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 uh, let's see where it goes. I think you're digging it. Uh, that's all right. And then uh, <laughs> season, season, season two of Star Trek Enterprise on, is on Blu-ray. Mark does not consider this canon. Uh, you know what I? It cons- should be shot out of a cannon. You know what? You know what I cannon. consider cannon, and you know why this is cannon? Why? Because do you know who plays the captain on this? The guy from Quantum Leap. Uh, no, the guy from Cannon. <laughs> the fat guy, William uh, Conrad. Conrad. Yeah. How dare you? That was a terrible joke. I, 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 I tried to. I know. Support you as you know what? Honestly, Star Trek Enterprise is not as bad as everybody makes it out. It's just that there were so many Star Trek series by this time. They, they, there was, there was the, the well was starting to kind of run dry. Uh, but this is on Blu-ray. It looks really nice. These shows were always well shot. Uh, Blu-ray shows off the, uh, the the makeup effects of all of the, the funky-looking aliens very nicely. So why the hell not? Why not do it? Uh, some cool extras here, including a three-part documentary on the uh, the entire second season. A lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, cast interviews, crew interviews, and some audio commentaries in certain episodes. It's just like it's it's Trek lore galore. You can spend hours on this, just watching the series, listening to the commentaries, watching the stuff. You wouldn't leave the house for a week. Not for a week. Uh, and then, uh, let's see, real quickly, The Walking Dead, complete third season. Mark, you okay? You're, you're like uh, vegging out over there. No, I'm fine. I'm just you, drone on I'm about sorry. whatever crap uh, well, you talk about. All right, well, there we go. I'll, uh, you, I'll, let you, I'll let you tie us up with that. Walking Dead is the uh, third season on Blu-ray. Um, I, I'm not as enamored of this show. We should have Corey on one of these days to just tell us why this is just so astounding. Because I'm so over zombies. I'm so over them. Zombies are cool. I'm just done with zombies. They're, they're, it's, World, it's, War three, uh, World War Three. World War Z, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with zombies. And I, and, I, okay. and I think on television, it's a little bit tired. I understand why people like this show. It's very well done. And it's, it's very, you know, twisty and turny. And, it, it, you know, production value and intensity goes a long way. Audio commentaries on here are, in, are certainly interesting. There's a lot to talk about. But, uh, you know, it's still, it's zombies. And, uh, again, this is plugging the new season, which begins in October. So the, uh, the fourth season begins in uh, just a couple of months. Mark. <laughs> okay. I will let you explain what that Da Vinci thing is all about. Uh, you will, right after I talk about uh, the second season of Once Upon a Time on oh, ABC. Yeah, yeah. This is a surprise hit for ABC. Uh, if you have not seen it, it's about, uh, how do I explain this? It, uh, it's a story about how the evil queen cast That this show confuses the crap out of me. No, I, it's I, about how, no, it's very simple. It's about how the evil queen casts this spell that traps all these fairy tale, fairy tale characters, including Snow White and Prince Charming, in uh, modern-day Maine. Okay. And so you got the fairy tale people, and you got the modern-day people, and it's one of those 
sorts of shows. That like, there was a movie. What was the animated film that came out earlier? No, late last year, where like Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, all, the the the, the uh, it was called the Avengers. <laughs> It was an animated film where they got them I all know, together. It was, the whole idea is that if we get them all together, the then, Guardians, the Guardians, yeah, whatever it's called, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of sort of like that. Yeah. Look, it, it, it's a it's a movie on it's a, it's a show on ABC. It definitely speaks to their you know that Disney demographic. the The adults can kind of get a little bit of a groove out of it because it's really well shot, pretty well cast. Uh, it's got some exciting parts, and of course, you know, the kids love it because there's you know Jiminy. Cricket, who here right. has been renamed something else, but there's yeah. Jiminy Cricket, and there's Snow White, and whatever, and there's Prince Charming. Yada, yada, so yada. I, I see how it crosses demographics. But that said, look, it was written by these two guys from Lost, so you know it's hopelessly confusing. And and uh, I don't know if that's a good thing, but um, here we have the second season, which doesn't do all that much to uh, answer the questions from the first season. But uh, if you do like this show, I would definitely pick up uh, season two of Once Upon a Time. A lot of uh, bonus features on that. And then uh, what else do we have? Wait. We have that Da Vinci damn thing, which I, I also don't get. Huh? I, honestly, once upon a time, I've I've tried to watch this show so many times, I can't follow it. It just it turn it turns my brain into 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 a pretzel. It doesn't make sense. My mother in law loves it though. Go figure. Why does your mother in law love that way? Go. She just can't get enough of it. Every time every time we're over there, she just says, "You've got to watch this. Look, the queen with the shri- the thing, but and he's gonna do the fizz." Uh, and it's she's just on the edge of her seat, and she's on pins and needles about something that's gonna happen, and then. You know, Robert Carlyle gets bad teeth, and then they're clean again, and then they're ugly again, and then there's a witch, and then she's like wearing a dress, and then she's wearing a headdress, and then it looks like something from Power Rangers, and then it doesn't, and I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. So anyway, Da Vinci's Demons, what's the deal? It's a weird little show. It's uh, it's kind of this British-American co-production, I think it might be. Yeah. And um, it's on stars, and it's all about this Leonardo Da Vinci. He's like 25 years old, and he works for Lorenzo uh, Medici, and he's trying to be a da superhero. Vinci. He's trying to be a superhero. He's trying to do what Da Vinci did, which is uh, kill zombies. Kill zombies. <laughs> um, Leonardo Da Vinci zombie hunt, zombie slayer. What's it? Yeah. I mean, the whole thing with like they, they really build up Da Vinci to be this character who is almost supernatural in his ability to like you know. Invent these things that's going to like save the world oh and, and, and advance mankind in terms of science I'm and adventure sure. and, and whatever. Um, but it's, it's a funky little show. I mean, I, I, I don't know that I would like look at this as a documentary. I wouldn't necessarily like you know base a term paper on it. But um, it's from David Goyer, who wrote uh, the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. And obviously, this must be something that is near near dear to his heart because it's he can go on and do a million superhero films. He also wrote uh, Man of Steel. And this obviously is something he found interesting to tackle. Um, so it's a lot of uh, adventure stuff. It's like there's a bit of natural treasure in it. There's a bit of uh, Sherlock in it, and uh, you know it's kind of interesting. It's a little ridiculous, but I, you know, if you if you like Da Vinci and you like the scientific uh, stuff that he developed and he invented, even though it does have that you know cheesy Da Vinci Code cheesiness to it. Yeah. I, I, I just said cheesy Da Vinci Code cheesiness to it, didn't yes, I? Yes, you did. I did. Uh, there still might be some fun to it. All right. It. It's on Star. Okay. Well, there it is. That's it. We are done. And uh, Mark, do we have any uh, sign-offs? You're not going to do That's the Truth Root for, for Alexander, are you? Well, okay, I will. Okay. In fact, I'll, I'll even throw in the one thing that he obviously wants me to throw in. Yeah. As we say goodbye. Yes. The last thing you will hear on this week's show is 
And that's the truth, Ruth.